0: Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that every day that you give us is a good day. A good day to praise you and give thanks for everything that you are and everything that you do. And we thank you just to know you and to be in your presence this morning, in your house. We give you center place in your church, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way. Help no one leave here the same, but to be closer to you and their relationship And to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a lot happening in this world. A lot of anxiety. A lot of turmoil. A lot of strife. Friday night. I was blessed to be at uh, Astros game with my family. It was about, I don't know, nine of us, I think, ten, eight or ten. And uh, and it was awesome. It was an awesome game. We had a great lead, and then we gave up five runs in the ninth. And, and then we're down by two runs still, the bottom of the ninth, two outs, and I witnessed Luis Valbuena hit a walk-off three-run homer to end the night for the Astros. was really awesome. So we were very happy. And they have Friday night fireworks, but we wanted to get out of there. It was already about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And so we headed out. And uh, what had just happened the night before... Uh, it was pretty ominous walking through the downtown toward the parking garage where we were headed uh, and they were shooting off the fireworks in the stadium and you can imagine the sounds and our hearts really just went out. I know everyone was thinking the same thing I was. was. We were blessed of course we were there. It was celebratory, the noise we were hearing and we weren't in any danger, but we couldn't help but think, and our hearts go out to those officers who lost their lives and were injured, and their families, and as well as the other young men that all some of the unsettlement is about in in, in Minnesota and in Baton Rouge, and it's all just bad, you know. But but God is on the throne. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Let's just start there in in Mark chapter 10, around the 46th verse. I want to read a story to you that you might be familiar with. Mark chapter 10, starting at the 46th verse. says, and they, this is Jesus and his disciples, came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, as Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. That's a great story in the Bible. John said that if he were to write down every miracle and Wonderful thing that Jesus did. The books of the world couldn't contain them all. But we're privileged to have some of them, and that's a beautiful story. Bartimaeus had no options before Jesus came along, he was a beggar. There was no cure for blindness. But Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus. He heard that he had healed some people of blindness. And now this man he had heard about was passing right by him. And he cried out to him that day. Son of David, he said. Which might not mean anything to you, but in the Jewish culture that would have shown that he believed That Jesus was the Messiah. This was his day. Nothing was going to stop him. You know, Bartimaeus could have made a lot of money that day. Begging. You know, a lot more people. A big crowd was with Jesus, as always. A lot more people passing by. On Bartimaeus' normal Place to beg. He he could have planned it all out and made more money that day than he would have been two or three months normally, probably. If he had been thinking that way, and that's how beggars think. He wasn't thinking about that though. That day he went from beggar to believer. He didn't care about how much extra he could make. Or how to be a more successful beggar. He was thinking about a whole new life free from begging, an independent life where he could see and he could help himself and help others. Praise God. You know, that day for Bartimaeus wasn't so different from our days. We need to examine the choices that we are making regarding the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Are we so busy in our day-to-day routines, our day-to-day beggarly existence, that we can't seem to find time to study the Word or pray to the living God? Too tired to go to church or be on time? Never miss work, but any excuse will do when it comes to the things of God. That would be like Bartimaeus not calling out for his healing because of his great opportunity to beg that day. Unfortunately, people tend to live without God as long as they don't perceive an emergency of some sort. This is precisely why the church has always strengthened and grown in times of extreme persecution. But God doesn't want you to have to experience tragedy before you enjoy his love and his power and his healing and his deliverance and his discipleship and provision for your life. Don't let self-reliant pride and spiritual laziness and the demands of everyday life cause you to miss Jesus as he passes by you today. We need to get rid of our beggarly garments and begin to act like a believer. I'm sorry if that seems harsh. But sometimes we just need to wake up and smell the coffee. If this little church right here were a business, it would have been out of business years ago. The way that it's run. And I'm the one up here, so I take responsibility more than anyone. There's a huge identity crisis amongst believers. The world is blind, period, and lost and without hope. So it has a beggarly existence It depends on its own wisdom, its own power, its own strength. And it always leads to sin, to rage, to anger, to bitterness. But you, Christian, it shouldn't be that way. When things go wrong, you shouldn't go with them. You have the words of life. You are the light of the world. You have the gospel of peace. You're an ambassador to the world, not from it or for it or of it. If there are two sides to a quarrel, your side is that of the referee with God's playbook and rules and regulations and power to point both sides to the only truth which is God's truth and Jesus Christ who is the way the truth and the life and nobody goes to the father but by him he said in Matthew 10:16 he said behold i send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. As sheep, that's you, in the midst of wolves. Now, who are the wolves? Who is is the enemy of the Christian? The devil. It's not flesh and blood. It's not mankind. It's the devil and his demons. So we need to be wise regarding the the tactics of the enemy. And we study those here. So that we know the difference in the truth and the lie. Because he tries to make the lie look like the truth. His deception is his tactic. But harmless as doves. We're not out to hurt anyone. Only the devil, that loser. Love never fails. Remember that from your Bible? So, what is love? We need to know what love is so that we can employ it now and always. If it never fails, let's put it to work. Sound reasonable? I'm one of those who's just foolish enough to know and believe that if God said it, it's true. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's see what God has to say about love. Because this is very exciting. Because you're going to hear the truth. About what love really is. You won't hear this in the world. The world doesn't have a clue what love is. It doesn't walk in love. And it doesn't know what love is. The love of the world is selfish and self-serving. That's not God's kind of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. We should speak in the tongues of men and of angels. But we need to employ love. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith. So as to remove mountains, and this is a good thing. But have not love, I'm nothing. Remember the church people that stood before Jesus on that judgment day? And said, Lord, Lord. We prophesied in your name. We preached in your name. We did many signs and miracles in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. They did not have love. They were just religious. If I give away all I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned. Jesus said, there's no greater no greater sacrifice than that a friend give up his life for another. But if I don't have love, I gain nothing. Your motive. What's your motivation? That's all God cares about. People get caught up on silly things. What's Jesus' name? Remember Diana? last. <laughs> Diana knows what I'm talking about. Tavana knows. Silly things. I just want to tell them God's looking at your heart. Love is, here we go. Here's here's what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. is a lot of things, and there's a lot of things it's not. Love doesn't envy. Love is content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What John and I were talking about this morning. Envy is at the root of all temptation. On Wednesday night, we were in the first three chapters of uh, Genesis. Envy is at the root of all temptation. Adam and Eve were deceived by the devil into believing that they were missing out on something. Now listen, if the devil made two people who lived in perfection dissatisfied, he's surely going to try it with you. Focusing on God's love for you will give you the supernatural contentment that you need. That's the answer. Love isn't boastful. It isn't proud. It's not better than anybody else. I remember when my mom t- used to tell me a story about my great grandfather. He was a, a pastor in Brownwood, Texas, and, and that's when they were still segregated back then. He would take my mama secretly with him over to preach at the black church on the other side of the tracks. Mama says she loved going. She said, I really like the music. (laughs) And she just, she was one of those, like my wife, who just had that childlike faith and didn't have a problem with people, you know. And she said that it was always my grandfather's desire that their pastor come and preach at his place someday. But he was never able to make that happen, unfortunately. (laughs) Lots have changed. But what will keep us from looking and thinking of ourselves in a prideful manner better than others is to remember Jesus' humility. He's always the example, you see. He was God. Is God. Came down from heaven, wrapped himself in one of these corruptible vessels and let himself be treated terribly For our sake. That's humble. Love. Behaves itself. Doesn't act out. It never acts out. In an inappropriate way. The devil wants you to believe. Your emotions. You see. Or your. He he wants you to, to believe that your passions. Can't be controlled. That's a lie. You need to ask God to help you to redefine what love is. If it involves intimacy with anyone other than your spouse, it isn't God. I'm just telling you. God's love isn't selfish. Not getting what you desire only, but Selfless giving of yourself. That's that's the more true answer to what love is. The reason there's a 50% divorce rate in the church, just like there is in the world, is because the church isn't agreeing with God. His way is perfect. 100% success rate. I guarantee it. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100. Don't expect them to provide you with happiness or anything else that God is the source of. You go into it giving everything that you have, making their life better, helping them, encouraging them, and pleasing them, and you'll be surprised how they reciprocate. When you're waiting on them and they're waiting on you, it's never going to work out. You get started. Watch what God does. Love doesn't have a hot temper. Y'all <laughs> say, you're just meddling now, Pastor. <laughs> it doesn't have a, love doesn't have a short fuse. Good thing God is patient toward us. But many, many of us have a problem with long suffering. That's patience. God isn't easily angered. He's very patient with us. Meditate on his patient love for you. Some of us don't think, oh, it it shouldn't be any problem for God to love me. I'm so lovable. Trust me. (laughs) God is very patient with you. Very patient with you. (laughs) I remember Billy Graham telling a story about a man who came out at one of his meetings and he stood in front of the, the podium out there on the field and said, there is no God. He claimed to be an atheist. He said, I'll prove it. If there's a God... Let him strike me dead with lightning right now. And he stood there for a couple of minutes and then proclaimed, See there, there's no God. And Billy just said, Well, thank God that you can't exhaust his patience in one day. (laughs) That man probably went on to be a great believer. Who knows? Usually people put up their biggest objections right before they cave. (laughs) <laughs> That's why I'm not moved when people act so silly. I pray for them. <laughs> oh, Love doesn't uh, keep score. You know that? This is important. Love doesn't keep score. It's a big one. No record of wrongs. No record of wrongs. We have to decide to walk in the loving forgiveness that Jesus employed in His life. Once again, He's the example. On the cross, He forgave the very people who were killing Him. On the cross. Having been spit on, beaten, naked, Nailed to a cross, hanging there, suspended between heaven and earth, dying. He forgave. He forgave. And then to prove that it can be done by the believers who follow suit after our Lord Jesus Christ Stephen did it as he was being the first one martyred in the early church. While the apostle Paul, who was not yet an apostle or a believer, stood watching Stephen forgave those who were stoning him to death. Asked God not to hold it to their charge. And he looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Standing ovation for the first martyr of the church. Thinking of evil, even evil done against you, is counterproductive. It only fuels the devil's desire for you to walk in self-pity, anger, bitterness. You see it all over the country today. It's a choice. Decide to forgive and to move on with God. Decide to think on things that are pure, that are lovely and of good report. If anything, be praiseworthy. Philippians 4.8. Think on these things. God doesn't tell you to do anything he won't do himself. This is how he thinks of you. Good things. (coughs) Love doesn't take delight in evil or iniquity. Sinful things. It rejoices with the truth, God's truth. If you get pleasure from things that are sinful, then you aren't full of God's love. Doesn't matter. If you're doing it yourself or you're watching it on TV. I'll be honest with you. God's love brings out purity in everything it touches. Talking about TV? You say, Well. You say, Well. I know how to differentiate. I know it's just a program. I don't I don't take it serious. Careful. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. If it's entertaining or pleasing for you to watch others sin. Or even to watch the news and watch others hate. Or rebel against authority. If it somehow pleases you to see that. Then you're rejoicing in evil. You don't have to be the one out there perpetrating these things. How do you feel about it when you watch it? God's looking at your heart. Love bears all things. God's love has no limitations. No boundaries. There's a popular Christian book all about boundaries, and I'm afraid that even though there's some good things in there, Christians have just used it as a as a excuse. To put up all sorts of relational boundaries and protective devices in their lives. That's not God. That's not God. That's the devil. You're supposed to be vulnerable to some degree. I'm not saying just let yourself be in an abusive relationship or anything like that. That is not at all what I'm saying. Quite the contrary. But don't listen to your flesh. Or to the world. Draw on the supernatural power of God. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the source, the power. As God in Christ forgave you. (laughs) Love believes all things. What does that mean? God's love for you and in you produces faith. Galatians 5, 6 says that faith worketh through love. When we experience the love that God has for us, faith comes as a natural byproduct. If you need more faith to believe God today, go to a place of intimacy with Him. Get alone with God. You've got to spend time in your, in the Word, in the presence of God, talking to Him and fellowshipping with Him. Put it all out there. Faith Will strengthen in you. It will. You can't microwave a relationship with God. It's like, it's like any of you here that that's with a spouse or a loved one or a relation. You you can't do it long distance or we're never talking to one another or seeing one another. How can you? Have a close relationship with the Lord when you never seek Him out, when you never spend time in His presence and talking to Him and learning of Him and growing in the grace and knowledge of Him. This is how peace is multiplied in your life, by the way. It's a formula. (laughs) You want a formula? Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love hopes. You understand that God has a perfect and a supernatural plan for your life. Not for your yesterdays. God has no plan for your yesterdays. So why dwell on them? The supernatural help and the love and provision of God is for your todays. And your tomorrows. Okay? Does that make sense? There's no future in the past. Let it go. Trust God. Focus on the future, on today. That's all that matters. This is the day of your salvation, God says. If you believe that he has a perfect plan for you and for your future and that it's good, like Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven through 13 says, then it will help you to grow and you'll find the supernatural power of God. Working in your life and in your heart. It'll help you to walk in the love that we're discussing here today. To endure anything that this life puts in front of you. The world doesn't have any hope. We have all the hope. This life is just a flicker. Eternity is forever And everything that God has is yours. You're his child. He has your picture in his wallet. Jesus went 2,000 years ago to start working on a house for you. (laughs) And it's awesome. (laughs) The world doesn't have that, you see. They don't have any supernatural provision and power of God working in their lives. So, they're left to their own resources and their own ways and their own thoughts and intents. And It's not within man to direct his own steps. It will always lead to bad things. Love never fails. Back to that again. As we act in love, we use the strongest force in the universe, which is at our disposal. So we just need to believe, to to trust God, to practice patience, to forgive. And love will never fail. It sounds simple, and it is. It's just not easy. The Christian life isn't easy. It's impossible to do in your own strength. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, forget about it. But there's no fear in love. For perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And see, all your punishment has been placed upon Jesus. And whoever fears, it says, has not been perfected in love. In other words, you don't have a revelation of how much God loves you. Peter says that you, someone that thinks like that, they're 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 nearsighted, even blind, having forgotten how, forgotten how much they have been forgiven. We love because he first loved us. There's the power. There's the motivation. First John four nineteen. We focus on the extravagant love that Jesus poured out for us, and it causes us, compels us out of gratitude and love for him to act in the same manner. Bitterness and unforgiveness and all this other nonsense. Rebellion is not an option for the Christian. There's hell to pay. You can't just continue living exactly like the world and never bearing any fruit unto God and continue to claim that you belong to him. It doesn't work that way. God's going to prune that branch, that tree, when he doesn't see any fruit on it. He's going to prune it. He's going to dig around it. He's going to watch it. But at some point, that tree has to bear some fruit unto God. You're that tree. I love this poem that Mother Teresa wrote. It's called, Anyway... What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you have anyway. You see... In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. John 14:27 On that fateful night, Jesus gave us something very personal and very awesome. His peace. It's a gift. He told them the Holy Spirit would come. But first he gave them this gift. He said, peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's our part. We are not to be fearful people. Anxiety and fear of the unknown and of all the tr- drama and trauma in this world is quite natural. But we are supernatural beings. We have the supernatural power of God and provision and protection of God. The favor of the Lord surrounds you as a shield. Do you believe it? Because you have to believe to receive, you see. Or doubt and do without. But Jesus gave you his peace as a gift. You can trust in him. Oh, I wish you could just see, just like Elijah and his servant that day when they were surrounded by that vast army who came there to arrest them and kill them. Elijah said, don't worry. There are more for us than against us. And the servant said, all he could see was the enemy's army. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, open the boy's eyes so he can see. And he did. And surrounding the army which surrounded them was the army of God chariots of fire and angels of God. Those are ministering angels for you. You have some assigned to you. I have some big ones here. So I can proclaim this word boldly without fear. You do not have to be afraid of If God be for you, what can man do to you? Nothing. Father, thank you for this day and for your love, for your precious word and promises. Thank you for teaching us to love like you. Perfectly. Outwardly knowing that you are the source of all our love and provision. We have nothing to be fearful of in this life. But during the time we're here, Father, we ask that you help us to be brighter beacons of your light to a sick and dying world. They need you, Father. We have been privileged to come to know you and to be known by you, and our names are written in the book of life. We know that it's your will that no one should perish, but that everyone repent and come to the knowledge of you and their Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to help them to know you. Help us to shine your love into their lives. So many people have met so many Christians, but they've never seen or heard of the love of God in Christ. Help us to share the true gospel of peace and love with others so that they might repent and come to know you, Father, which is what they really need. We thank you, Lord, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, and we don't hate anyone. We only hate the deceiver, the devil and his demons who have these people deceived, and we're going to try and help some of them to be free, to come into relationship with you as we have. Help us in our relationship with you, Father, today to be stronger and more confident in the love that you have for us. So that we can share the love that we receive from you with others. Thank you that you do protect us and watch over us. And that you have assigned angels to encamp round about us. To keep us from harm and to provide for us and to minister to us. Thank you that we have you Holy Spirit. To remind us of everything that Jesus has said and taught Thank you, Jesus, that you sacrificed your life so perfectly for us and that you've gone to prepare a home for us in heaven. We look forward to your return, Lord, and until you do, we'll continue to serve you and to wait for you and to love you and to love others as you've instructed us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.